MSW Media. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Monday, February 27th, 2023. Today, Judge Beryl Howell has unsealed her December 28th ruling against Representative Scott Perry. George Santos lied to a judge. The Trump White House pressured Disney to censor Jimmy Kimmel. The Dilbert cartoon has been dropped from hundreds of newspapers following a racist YouTube rant by the creator Scott Adams. Arizona Governor Katie Hobbs has referred former Attorney General Brnovich to the state bar over his falsifying election fraud reports. And an ex-University of Kentucky student has been indicted for her racist attack on a black student. I'm your host, Allison Gill. Hey, everybody. So a big weekend in the news, as you can tell. Judge Beryl Howell released that December 28th ruling that we just had a hearing about last Thursday with the appellate court. And this is the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals, but it's two Trump judges and a Bush judge, Rao Katsis and Henderson. And uh, they're now hearing the Scott Perry case because he appealed what Judge Beryl Howell ruled back in December. And she unsealed that ruling because it got out into the public during the hearing last Thursday. And there's an overwhelming need to know by the public. And we learned quite a few things that most of the stuff that Scott Perry is trying to keep from, you know, getting to the Justice Department from his phone that was seized last August is not protected by the speech or debate clause. And this does not bode well for Mike Pence, because one of the parts that she talked about in her ruling. And by the way, we go over this in big, giant detail on the current episode of Jack. It's out now wherever you get your podcasts. So just search for Jack, subscribe. It's free. But so basically she said, look, you can't talk to members of the executive branch about interfering with a legislative branch thing and call it protected by the speech or debate clause, because the whole, you know, you remember I did a motto where I went back to 1661 England and talked about the birth of the speech or debate clause. They didn't want Charles I, a seditious king, to be interfering with their legislative duties. And so Scott Perry's phone calls to administration officials in the executive branch, you know, in the Trump White House, you know, trying to get Jeffrey Clark installed and trying to talk to Trump about you know, putting pressure on Pence to throw out votes in certain states, all of those communications can't be covered by the speech or debate clause because he was encouraging the executive branch to interfere with the Electoral Count Act, you know, legislative joint session thing that happened on January 6th. And and she's like, that's that turns the entire purpose of the speech or debate clause on its head. It's to keep the executive branch out of legislative functions. And you were trying to get them to interfere in a legislative function, which is, you know, why he's being investigated for obstructing an official proceeding. So very interesting ruling. And that, among many other cases that she cited, seems to be the crux of the debate is that an 11th Circuit decision said that people who are conducting casual fact-finding investigations that aren't sanctioned by Congress can be protected by the speech or debate clause. But the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals has ruled several times otherwise. And so she she said, look, I got I'm bound. I'm a D.C. you know, district court judge. I'm bound by the D.C. Circuit Court decisions. But I also disagree with what the 11th Circuit said. Now, if the Supreme Court hears this, they'll have to decide whether the 11th Circuit's ruling on the Eastman case or the 
D.C. Circuit Court's ruling on the Eastman case. And when I say Eastman, I don't mean John Eastman, the lawyer. This is old, an old Supreme Court decision. The SCOTUS will have to decide which one they like. And I don't think that they're going to be willing to do that. So we'll see. And that's with regard to to not just Scott Perry, but but Mike Pence as well. According to Judge Beryl Howell's ruling, Pence's discussion with executive branch officials about his role as a legislator on January 6th are not protected. So we'll see how this all rolls out. I, again, don't think that Pence is going to win. And like I said, we go over it in detail on this week's episode of Jack. Also, tomorrow, I'm going to be joined by my friend Glenn Kirshner right here on this show. You don't want to miss that. Dana got an extension on her Olivia Cruz. So she's going to be out for the rest of this week as well, although I think she may be back on the show Friday. I don't know if we're going to run the Adam Frisch interview because I got one of those. He's the guy who's running in Colorado's third district against Lauren Boebert, who almost beat her by, you know, lost by 546 votes. Or uh, whether she's going to run the news on Friday's Beans. We'll figure it out. But I just wanted to let you know, she will be back when we get back from vacation next week. So Uh, anyway, lots going on and a lot of news to get to. So let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right. From Justine McDaniel at The Washington Post, George Santos falsely told a judge in Seattle in 2017 that he worked for Goldman Sachs. That's according to Politico who reported this on Friday, adding to the long list of lies by the New York Republican congressman. Politico published an audio recording of part of Santos's conversation with a judge during an arraignment for Gustavo Ribeiro Trelha, whom Santos told the judge was a family friend. Trelha later pled guilty to fraud, went to jail, and was deported to Brazil, Politico reported. Now remember, Santos is being prosecuted in Brazil for fraud as well. Quote, so what do you do for work? That's King County Superior Court Judge Sean P. O'Donnell said in the Sean P. O'Donnell, I bet that P is for Patrick, said in the recording on uh, May 15th, 2017, during an arraignment for Tralha, he said, quote, I'm an aspiring politician and I work for Goldman Sachs. That's what Santos told the judge. You work for Goldman Sachs in New York? O'Donnell asked. Yup, replied Santos. It was a lie Santos would repeat five years later as he campaigned for Congress. And one of many parts of his biography that reporters found to be fabricated. He was elected to the House of Representatives in November, but his resume has unraveled since. And though he temporarily stepped down from House committees, Santos has rebuffed calls to resign and has not been pushed to do so by Republican leadership, which is a huge mistake because they're going to lose that district now in 2024. Santos's attorney, Joe Murray, did not immediately respond to requests from the Post. Politico reported that Murray did not respond to that organization's requests either. And from Ronsley and Soibsang over at Rolling Stone, they've been reporting up a storm over there, these two. In early 2018, the American national security apparatus was fixated on reports that North Korea was building a nuclear weapon that could reach the United States or that Russia was plotting chemical weapons assassinations in Europe. Meanwhile, President Donald Trump at the time was busy targeting his idea of an enemy of the state, late night host Jimmy Kimmel. The then president, according to two former Trump administration officials, was so upset by Kimmel's comedic jabs that he directed his White House staff to call up one of Disney's top execs in D.C. to complain and demand action. ABC, on which Jimmy Kimmel Live has long aired, is owned by Disney. In at least two separate phone calls that occurred around the time Trump was finishing his first year in office, perfect phone calls, the White House conveyed the severity of his fury with Kimmel to Disney. The ex-officials told the Rolling Stone. Trump staff mentioned 
that the leader of the free world wanted the billion-dollar company to rein in the Trump-trashing ABC host and that Trump felt that Kimmel had, in the characterization of one former senior administration official, been very dishonest in doing things that Trump would have once sued over. (laughs) Hmm. In 2018, Trump's FCC chairman, Ajit Pai, announced that the agency would investigate a crass joke from late-show host Stephen Colbert about Trump's cozy relationship with Putin. Trump fumed at Colbert in an interview and called him a no-talent who uses filthy language. But despite the president's irritation and complaints from viewers, the FCC ultimately declined to take action against the late-night host. Now, as the matter was being investigated, the then-president took enough of an interest in it to repeatedly ask aides for updates on whether the FCC had made a decision, according to a source. And this isn't surprising at all to me, who was targeted from my podcast about the Mueller investigation by the Trump administration. I was eventually fired from the federal government after an investigation, quote unquote, of my podcast, which turned up nothing. Now, the following year, Trump directed his staff and attorneys to see whether the FCC and the DOJ could retaliate against late night shows critical of him after he was incensed by jokes about him in a Saturday Night Live rerun. Trump, according to sources, suggested to lieutenants he believed wrongly that shows like Kimmel and Saturday Night Live had violated an obscure federal rule which mandates that broadcasters provide equal time to messages from candidates. (laughs) He wanted them to make equal fun of Democrats, I guess. The Trump White House's attempts to censor critics extended to social media as well. As we know, in 2019, the Trump White House reached out to Twitter and demanded that the social media company remove a tweet from Chrissy Teigen calling Trump a pussy ass bitch, according to recent testimony from a former Twitter trust and safety official. I'll bet you a billion beans. Jim Jordan's weaponization committee nor Comer's oversight committee are going to look into this brazen violation of the First Amendment. He's got a history of this. Jimmy Kimmel now, we've, you know, we knew about Colbert, Saturday Night Live, pussy ass bitch. My podcast, I mean, he went out of his way. Cohen jailing Cohen before he was about to release his book. This is a very clear pattern of the weaponization of the Department of Justice. Having the IRS go after Comey and McCabe. I mean, these are all individually impeachable offenses. (laughs) And Arizona's Democratic governor, Katie Hobbs, is seeking a review of what her office alleges was likely unethical conduct by the state's former attorney general, Mark Burnovich. A letter sent this past Friday from the governor's office to the State Bar of Arizona follows the disclosure on Wednesday of records showing that Brnovich withheld findings by his own investigators refuting claims of fraud in the 2020 election, and he mischaracterized his office's probe of voting in the state's largest county, Maricopa County. The letter, signed by Hobbs General Counsel Bo Duell, calls the conduct harmful to our democracy, our state, and the legal profession itself. Bernovich dismisses the allegations, quote, Katie Hobbs is wrong, he said in a statement. This is another misguided attempt by her to defame and cancel a political opponent instead of addressing the serious issues facing our state. Now, the bar has received at least eight complaints against Bernovich related to his office's probe of the 2020 election. It's according to a spokesman for the association of the Bar Association, which regulates the professional conduct of lawyers and has the power to reprimand or disbar members. The letter from Hobbs's office to the state bar argues that the news reports and documents, quote, exposed what is likely unethical conduct by Brnovich. It also notes that the conduct appears to have coincided with the period in which Brnovich and other attorneys in his office were negotiating and then operating under what's called a diversion agreement 
an alternative to disciplinary sanction that might otherwise result from bar complaints and instead often involves training and other types of remediation. So he was already kind of on probation when he pulled this shit. Those complaints alleged that Brnovich shirked his responsibilities as the state's top law enforcement officer to represent two state agencies, the Secretary of State's office and the Arizona Board of Regents. That's the governing body of Arizona's public university system. Hobbs was Arizona's Secretary of State at the time that those complaints were filed and the diversion agreements that were issued, those were revealed in early 2022. The letter from Hobbs's office asked the state bar to review the files released this week and take any appropriate action. <laughs> I hope he gets disbarred. And speaking of being disbarred, a Texas judge has dismissed the Texas state bar's complaint against Sidney Powell because the exhibits in their complaint were numbered incorrectly. It was dismissed without prejudice. The state bar can appeal. I expect that they will. Not really a big story. I just wanted to straighten that out because a lot of the headlines out there say things like, she avoided disbarment, she wins, blah, blah, blah. No, this is a just, a I think, a hiccup. And now, a segment I like to call Racist Assholes Get Their Just Desserts. This is when Newspapers across the United States have pulled Scott Adams' long-running Dilbert comic strip after the cartoonist called Black Americans a hate group and said white people should get the hell away from them, unquote. The Washington Post, New York Times, LA Times, USA Today, a network of hundreds of newspapers were among publications that announced they would stop publishing Dilbert after Adams' racist rant on YouTube last Wednesday. Asked on Saturday how many newspapers still carried the strip, a workplace satire he created in 1989, Adams told the Post, by Monday, around zero. The once widely celebrated cartoonist, who has been entertaining extreme right ideologies and conspiracy theories for several years now, was upset Wednesday by a Rasmussen poll that found a thin majority of black Americans agreed with the statement that it's okay to be white. That's a phrase sometimes associated with racist memes, by the way. That's what white nationalists say. That's their battle cry. It's okay to be white. Quote, if nearly half of all blacks are not okay with white people, that's a hate group, he said live streaming a YouTube show, I don't want to have anything to do with them. And I would say, based on the current way things are going, the best advice I would give to white people is to get the hell away from black people because there's no fixing this, unquote. Adams, who's 65, also blamed black people for not, quote, focusing on education during his show and said, I'm also really sick of seeing video after video of black Americans beating up non-black citizens. Of course, outrage followed. And by Thursday, The Post began hearing from readers calling for the strip's cancellation. On Friday, the USA Today Network said that it will no longer publish the Dilbert comic due to recent discriminatory comments by the creator. The Gannett-owned chain oversees more than 300 newspapers, including the Arizona Republic, Cincinnati Inquirer, Detroit Free Press, Indianapolis Star, Austin American Statesman, and the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. One paper editor compared Adams' view to the Jim Crow era and more recent examples of white supremacy, including, quote, millions of angry people trying to redefine the word racism itself. In fact, Adams did exactly that on his YouTube show on Saturday. He offered a long quasi-Socratic defense of his comments, which he said were taken out of context and seemed to define racism as essentially any political activity. Quote, any tax code change is racist, he said at one point. He denounced racism against individuals, and racist laws, but said you should absolutely be racist whenever it's to your advantage. Every one of you should be open to making a racist personal career decision, unquote. Hmm. 
In the same show, Adams suggested that he had done irreparable harm to a once sterling career. Most of my income will be gone by next week, he told about 3,000 live stream viewers. My reputation for the rest of my life is destroyed. You can't come back from this, am I right? There's no way you can come back from this, unquote. I hope not. And a 22-year-old white former student at the University of Kentucky allegedly caught on camera physically attacking a black student employee on campus and repeatedly using appalling racial slurs, repeatedly, I've seen it's repeatedly, has been criminally indicted uh, on all six counts that she was initially facing. A grand jury in Fayette County this week returned indictments against Sophia Rosing on three counts of fourth-degree assault and one count each of third-degree assault on a police officer, second-degree disorderly conduct, and alcohol intoxication in a public place. That's according to authorities that talk to law and crime. The incident occurred when a visibly drunk Rosing entered Boyd Hall in the early morning hours of November 6, 2022, and began verbally berating a black student employee, later identified as Kyla Spring, who was working behind the desk. Spring remains calm and collected throughout the violently racist episode, grabbing Rosing by the wrists and just keeping her away, repeatedly asking her to please stop. Quote, I don't get paid enough for this, she says to the person filming the attack while continuing to restrain Rosing. Rosing appears to respond by just repeating the racial slur over and over again. Several students appear to walk by the incident and comment that Rosing has just likely ruined her whole future. As Rosing continued her confrontation, so did her insults. It's not my fault that you're black, she said. Do my chores, she was also heard saying. Her abhorrent behavior continued even after police arrived on the scene. She reportedly was not carrying any identification with her and refused to provide police with her name. She is accused of kicking and biting the arresting officer and apparently began singing the racial slur while she was being handcuffed. That's according to the Post. The New York Post, by the way. University of Kentucky in November permanently banned her from campus, noting that she would not be allowed to re-enroll in any courses in the future. Quote, Ms. Rosing is no longer a student at University of Kentucky. That's University President Eli Capilouto in a statement. Within hours of learning about the incident, he continued, we suspended her on an interim basis, a move that banned her from campus during our investigation. I have also determined that she will not be eligible to re-enroll as a student. She is permanently banned from the campus. Rosing also lost two jobs due to the incident, one at Dillard's department store and another as a student influencer. Great, she was an influencer. Rosing, who has pled not guilty to the charges against her, was scheduled to appear Friday before the Fayette Circuit Judge Lucy Van Meter. Nuh-uh, Lucy Van Meter? Isn't that? Okay. Uh, that's the circuit judge for her arraignment. She pled not guilty. All right, everybody, stick around. We'll be right back with the good news. After these messages, we'll be right back. Everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Good news. And if you have any good news, confessions, corrections, you want to give a shout out to somebody you love, you want to send a frog orgy photo for me, baby pictures for Dana, you want to play What the Mutt, you want to give a shout out to an adoptable pet in your area. We love those. Any pod pet pics that you have, especially if they're in costumes, I love that. You know I love that. Any Whoopi stories, a shout out to a small business in your area, whatever you want to send us, you can do so by going to dailybeanspod.com. And click on contact and a big thank you to our patrons who have donated one year subscriptions of ad free premium feeds to people who can't swing it. We've had now over 800, I believe, donated subscriptions from our patrons 
you can uh, buy a subscription for somebody for 36 bucks. It's the whole year. Or you can sign up yourself for as little, I think it's three bucks a month. You can do that at patreon.com slash Mueller, she wrote. If you buy at the $5 a month level, you get this show and the Jack podcast ad free. And then you get the happy hour and the VIP stuff and all the good stuff that comes along with it. All right. First up from Kelly, pronouns she and her. Hello, ladies of the beans. I listen daily to the podcast to get my fill of news with swearing. I'm in a blue town in a red region of blue Minnesota. We have some very exciting things happening in our state legislature, which is what can happen when you have a blue trifecta. I got out in the 2020 election cycle and knocked on some doors for the Dems who ended up winning in our area. First pick is my nine-year-old and I canvassing and the gaggle of turkeys we found in the neighborhood while we were canvassing. My last pick is two of my fur babies that are sun chasing slash napping on this negative 23 degree Fahrenheit morning. Burr. Thank you for all you do. Look at this. Excellent. Beautiful. Election day is November. Look at this. Canvassing with the kids. My mom used to take me canvassing. I love this. And I love that you do this, Kelly. Thank you so much. And the babies. This looks like the Sistine Chapel roof, by the way. <laughs> with the cat and the dog. They just need to touch paws a little bit. So adorable. Oh, turkeys. There they are. Thank you. Thank you for that photo. Next up from Amber, pronouns she and her. Hello, beans queens. Greetings from election day in Wisconsin. I'm a first time submitter, but have been hooked on your podcast for over a year now. I love being able to stay informed about what crazy political news is going on in our country. And I love that you make it so fun to listen to and understand. I'm writing today to tell you about some good news. I realize today I'm creating future leaders and voters in our country by making sure my two children, 10 and 5, know how important it is to vote in every election. As you know, we had a primary election in Wisconsin for the open seat of our state Supreme Court, and my kids were wondering why I was voting for only one thing that day. Uh, As soon as I explained to them that two of the people on the ballot were more conservative and two were more progressive, my 10-year-old said, well, of course you would vote for the judges who would let people be in charge of their own bodies and their own lives. If they aren't hurting anyone, they should be able to love who they want and dress how they want and do what they want. That was one of my proudest mom moments to date. For pet tax, I've added a picture of our rescue dog, Douglas Vincent. He was picked up as a stray in Texas and has made his way to our home and heart so quickly. We know that he's a terrier mix, but we don't know what the mix part is. So we plan on getting a doggy DNA test soon. Thanks for all you do. Keep up the amazing work. Amber, as soon as you get those results in, come come in with a what the mutt. This is an adorable effing dog. Oh my God, so cute. It looks like maybe part chin or part... Shih Tzu with the little, oh, and the ear. It's, oh, what an adorable baby. Maybe Corgi in there. So cute. And I love this. I love these first two posts. Taking your kid canvassing and then, you know, this this amazing thing that you're, that Amber, that your kid said. Uh, you know, my mom used to drag me to the poll. I remember, I'll never forget that. I'm sure I told this story before, but I'll never forget that she took me to vote one time. Because, you know, this is the 70s. We didn't have childcare. Um, and, I remember the voting booth, they were made of wood, right? They were sturdy. They had cloth curtains and metal curtain rings. And so when you opened them and closed them, they made that, you know, that sound, that snapping sound of of opening and closing a curtain really quick. And um, she, you know, she looked at me and I was like, oh, well, what are we doing? She's like, I'm voting. And I go, why do you have to go in there? She's like, it's private. Nobody knows who I'm voting for. And, and she, that's what she said to me. She's like, no man can tell me what to say when I'm inside that booth. Stuck with me forever. Next up from Andrew, no pronouns given. They might be giants are coming to Perth. 
Excellent. That is good news. Pet tax included. My GSP, making sure no one gets out of the kitchen without first being inspected for contraband. And a photo from Christmas time in Australia with some other, <laughs> is it geepers at play, at a play date? Um, look at, oh, oh, look at this baby. Oh, look at them all. Oh. German short-haired pointers. Are they jeepers or are they geepers? I can't, I don't know the nickname, but they're beautiful. And they're very attentive. Thank you for sending that in. I hope you enjoy. They might be giants. I know I'm going to be seeing them in April. So I'm very excited. All right. Thank you very much. Next up from Bethany, pronouns she and her. Hello, AG and DG. I have both good news and a what the mutt for you today. This week, I'm celebrating a very happy gotcha day for my sweet little rescue pup, Lucy. Uh, a few months uh, after going through a break, it just dawned on me. It's Lucy Van Pelt, not Lucy Van Meter from the first segment. Anyway, a few months after going through a breakup, I finally decided it was time to get a dog. And on Valentine's Day 2019, I received word that my adoption application for this beautiful brindle dog, originally named Diva, had been approved. Three days later, she made the long journey from Texas to Oregon with the rescue organization. I'm happy to report it was love at first sight. My sister, who lives with me, and I brought her home. And after a few weeks, we watched her blossom from a timid girl who was too scared to go up the stairs or get into a car or do much of anything other than nap in her kennel and very shyly ask for snacks, into a confident, loving dog who now flies up and down the stairs, loves going for car rides, and will eagerly tear the stuffing out of any toy we give her. When picking out a name for her, I briefly toyed with the idea of naming her Balto after the movie that my sister loved when she was little. I love that movie. I can still picture my sister running around on all fours playing Balto when she was eight years old. And I knew I could get her on board with that, but I wasn't totally sold on it. I decided to Google strong female characters to get some ideas when I saw a photo of Lucille Ball. Something inside me lit up, and I just knew her name would be Lucille. Insert dramatic pause here. Lucille Ball Toe. <laughs> we call her Lucy amongst about a thousand other nicknames, notably Boodle, Doodlebug, Bunny, Bunny Bear, Snoopy, just about any other random thing that comes out of her mouth while talking to her. She's an absolute joy, and she was just what I didn't know my broken heart needed four years ago. An unexpected cute thing from this dog adoption was my dad. He loves this dog, calls her his granddaughter, and makes just about any excuse to come over to see her. He jumps at any opportunity to watch her if we're out of town. I'm pretty sure he's even offered to send my sister and me out of town just so he can keep the dog overnight. <laughs> the other day, he called me with probably the most adorable story I've ever heard. He's been working on managing his blood pressure and taking steps in hopes of avoiding medication. So he's been measuring and tracking his blood pressure at home. After a particularly high reading one day, around 144 when he's usually in the 120s, he realized that when he reads something online that makes him mad, it makes his blood pressure shoot up. So he took a deep breath, tried to think of some calming thoughts, and naturally he thought of Lucy. He told me, I just started thinking of her little face and scritching her behind the ears and just how sweet she is. Then when I checked my blood pressure again, it had dropped to 117. So I'm going to start thinking of her every time I need to check my blood pressure. It was so sweet. I teared up just about. At some point, I might try to warm him up to the idea that maybe some of his strong conservative leanings might be contributing to that high blood pressure, but I'll have to work toward that. It may require a few more dog adoptions. <laughs> I'm attaching photos of Lucy. Isn't she pretty? To play What the Mutt, and I'll include her DNA results below. The top two in her results were both breeds that we'd suspected she might have, though we couldn't quite imagine how they would go together. But hey, there they are. Thank you for both for all you do. I'm looking forward to listening to the pod every day. 
Bethany. Uh, P.S. My initials are BG and my childhood nickname was Beanie. So it's no wonder I feel right at home with this podcast. I think it's BG. Oh, look at. Oh, okay. So there's Dachshund in there and uh, Lab, probably, right? And those are, you're wondering how they got together. Is there pity? I definitely see that doxy in the face. So cute. Uh, of course, chow chow. I'm writing these down. A staffy, maybe. Um, so beautiful. Uh, and okay, th- that, those are my guesses. Dachshund, Lab, Pity, Chow, and Staffy. All right, we've got Dachshund, Pity, Lab, Eskimo, and Chow Chow. Dude, I was so fucking close. Instead of the Staffordshire Terrier, I should have said American Eskimo Dog, although I wasn't thinking that at all. So you know what? Dang, dude, four out of five is pretty good. Hoo-hoo, that's an 80%. That is a low B. I'll take it. <laughs> Thank you so much for all these photos. Thanks for your wonderful voting with the kids and campaigning with the kids' stories. I love the turkeys. Um, and, oh, this adorable baby, Amber, I absolutely love. Let me know when you get the DNA run up because I want to guess. Um, I want to be guessing. And thank you again for the German short, uh, short hair pointers. They're a beautiful babies. And enjoy. They might be giants, Andrew, when they come to Perth. Appreciate you. All right, everybody. That's the news today. So if you have any good news you want to send us, you can do it at dailybeanspod.com. Just click on contact. And if you want to donate one of those subscriptions to somebody, that's also at dailybeanspod.com. Just scroll down to patrons helping patrons. I think I sent you to the Patreon earlier when I, I, that's a, I misspoke. My bad. We're going to leave it in though. Because, you know, it's cool to make mistakes. Peeing your pants is cool. I'll see you tomorrow, everybody. Until then, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet. Take care of your mental health. Vote blue over Q and bring someone with you. I'm an AG and them's the beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg and Amy Carrero. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com. MSW Media.